0: Thank you Pastor Yeomans and thank you Bible Baptist Church for having us in today and being able to celebrate with you this uh, special anniversary and uh, we're so privileged uh, to be able to be just down the road from you in Elmer. And uh, to be able to partner with you in so many different ways through the years and getting to know you folks. And uh, just praise God for uh, that time that uh, I've been able to spend here uh, with you here at Bible Baptist and see what God's doing through you. Watch the video and see all that God is doing even in these times that we're in. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And... Uh, just want to mention also that i'm just very grateful for uh, the uh, pastors that god has gifted you here at bible baptist uh, i am so grateful for the friendships uh, that i have with each one and just the personal encouragement that each one has been uh, to me and uh, you are truly a church that has been specially blessed by god with the men that minister here with you and i uh, preach the word of God, teach you the ways of God, uh, lead in that as well, and uh, so thankful for them, uh, each one of them, and being able to get, each, get to know each one, and uh, be able to serve in ministry alongside uh, with them. Second Chronicles chapter 6, and I, w- I would like to talk on this uh, subject here this morning of the prayer house and relating the church to some things that we learned from the Old Testament about the temple, which was to be a house of prayer, a place where God's people gather to pray together. And the passage here that we have, actually, if you'll look at chapter number five, it is the completion of the temple. And King Solomon has finished the work, it says in verse 1, chapter 5 of Second Chronicles, that thus all the work that Solomon had made for the house of the Lord was finished. And the rest of the chapter there goes on to talk about how they brought in the Ark of the Covenant into the temple that had been just newly completed. And that Ark of the Covenant contained the Ten Commandments, which represented uh, the law that God had given to the children of Israel, that covenant that He had with them. The Ark of the Covenant was a representation of God's presence. It was as his throne. And it was that one of those last items that they brought there into the temple. And in verse number 13 of chapter 5, it says that it came to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments, instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. That then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Then Solomon the Lord uh, then said, Solomon, the Lord hath said that he would dwell in the thick darkness, but I have built an house of habitation for thee and a place for thy dwelling forever. And the king turned his face and blessed the whole congregation of uh, Israel stood, and he said, "Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. "...who hath with his hand fulfilled that which he spake with his mouth to my father David, saying, Since the day that I brought forth my people of the land of Egypt, I chose no city among all the tribes of Israel to build a house in, and in my name might be there. Neither chose I any man to be a ruler over my people Israel, but I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there, and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel." Now it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. The Lord said to David, my father, for as much as it was in thine heart to build a house for my name, thou didst well in in that it was in thine heart. Notwithstanding, thou shalt not build the house, but thy son. Which shall come forth out of thy loins, and shall build the house for my name. And the Lord therefore hath performed this word that he hath spoken. For I am risen up, risen up in the room of David my father, and am set on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised, and have built the house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And it And in it have I put the ark, wherein the covenant of the Lord that he made with the children of Israel. And he stood before the altar of the Lord, in the presence of all the congregation of Israel, and spread forth his hands, for Solomon had made a brazen scaffold of five cubits long, five cubits broad, and and three cubits high, and had set in the midst of the court. And upon it he stood and kneeled down upon his knees before all the congregation of Israel, and spread forth his hands toward heaven." And what Solomon gives here is a dedication prayer at the completion of the temple. And Solomon had done everything that God had laid out for him to do, everything that God had spoken that should be completed in the temple, Solomon did according to God's desire for his people. I want to ask this question today of Bible Baptist Church for us as believers of what have we made the house of God to be? What have we made the house of God to be? I pray that God will make it very clear what he desires for his house to be here in this place today. Dear God, I do pray that you just give me clarity of thought and help me to, in these few moments, be able to share your word, your desire, that what you desire the church house to be. A place of prayer, a place of God's people gathering together to call upon a God that can save, that can heal. And God, I pray you would work in each heart by your spirit in a way that only you can. And God, just give me the words that you would have me to speak, that you be able to minister in hearts in the way that you desire to this morning in this place. Thank you for it. And thank you for all you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an account of Jesus when he was on earth, that he walked into Jerusalem and being in Jerusalem just before Passover, he entered into the temple gates, the temple that Solomon... Uh, had built and it had been rebuilt, he walked into that temple and he looked around and became filled with anger and indignation. And he began to go about and to upturn the tables that those who were there to sell and he began to uh, 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 cast out those who were the, the money changers and he would not allow anybody to walk through the court of his house, of the temple. And he sat down, and it says that he taught them that it is written, My house shall be called of all nations a house of prayer. But ye have made it into a den of thieves. And the temple house had become something that was intended to be a house of prayer. It had become a house of thieves. That the temple house had become a place that was no longer of people's hearts glorifying God and seeking to bring honor and glory to the Lord. It had become a place of common market a place of common business there in the city of Jerusalem. It was no different than anything else that was going on in the city. People's hearts were not fixed on God as they came into that place, that time of Passover, that time of glorifying God in their midst. It had become a place of just common practice, common tradition, common place things happening. No hearts that were fixed on the Lord. Hearts that had robbed God of his glory had robbed the house of what it was intended to be, a house of prayer, not just for Jerusalem, not just for the inhabitants of Israel, but for the world. And they had changed what God intended to be, a house of prayer, into a house of just common day-to-day business. You know, 2020 is a year that God has given to us to clearly identify what we have made the church to be today. And if there ever was a time that it's been clearly marked out what our nation, what our government thinks That our church is, and what many Canadians think that our church is today, is that it's something that's non-essential. It's something that we can do out. It's something that is just anything else that's happening in our city, it's no different. It's something that is just a pleasure. It's something extra to be added to our lives. It's not needed in our nation. And we have to ask ourselves, and God's been laying on my heart, what have I made the church house to be? What has it become in my life? Because you see, the house that God is building today is not a house that's built out of the cedars of Lebanon. It's not a house that's made out of the the gold of Sheba. It is a house that is beginning in your hearts and in my heart. It's a house that when you come to this place, what you do in this place makes God's house today. It's not a building, it's not, a, it's not the materials that we see around us, it's this group of people gathered here today. And what you do in this place, or what you do not do in this place, is what you make God's house to be. Your heart's attitude this morning, of whether it's reflecting on God and bringing glory to Him, whether it's pointing people towards Jesus, your heart's attitude this morning is making what church is today here in 2020. Your presence or your absence is what makes the church today. And whether or not we are focused on Christ makes a massive difference in this year of 2020. And we have to ask ourselves, what have we made the church to be? You see, David had a desire for what he desired church to be. And we have many different desires of what we desire the church house to be. We desire it for, oftentimes for it to be a place where we can have community and friendships, a place where we can find help for our spiritual need. And these are all good things. David had a good desire for what he wanted the house of God to be, but God said, no. David, we learned that good desires do not always equal God's delight. Because in order for us to make something that is glorifying to him, we have to do it God's way. And God told David, David, you're not going to build my house. Solomon's going to build the house. And he's going to, you're going to help prepare the materials, but your son is the one who's going to establish the house. And David had to follow God's plan in order for it to be God's glory. And so if we're going to be a house that does the work of God, we've got to know the mind of God before we do the work. And how are we going to know the mind of God unless we're a house that prays? Seeking the word of God seeking to know God's will for what he desires to do here in this place and I want to give to you very briefly here this morning four prayers that Solomon made in his dedication prayer at the temple that God desperately desired to answer and I believe today they are four prayers that he desperately desires to hear of you of God's people of God's church that he desperately desires to answer but we've got to pray them The first prayer I want you to notice is number one, the prayer of the subverting saint. Verse number 22, uh, King Solomon here has been asking God, would your eyes look upon this place and would your ears be open unto the prayers that are made? And the first prayer that he gives us here in verse number 22 is that if a man sin against his neighbor and an oath be laid upon him to make him swear and the oath come before thine altar in this house, then hear thou from heaven and do and judge. Judge thy servants. By requiting the wicked, by recompensing his way upon his own head, and by justifying the righteous, by giving him according to his righteousness. In the Old Testament, they had a practice that in Israel, if a man sinned against his brother or sister, he had caused an offense that he was, uh, that the, that person who had been offended would go to the temple and, and he would make known the offense and that offender had an opportunity to go into the temple and before the altar in the temple, he would take an oath either declaring what he had done for him to then be able to receive forgiveness or for him to say, I'm not guilty of the offense, I did not do that. And Solomon prayed that God, when your people come in here and they take an oath of what they have done, would they speak the truth, God? Would they not come into this place and subvert your house? Would they not come in here with pretentious, fake, ingenuous feigned hearts and pretend to be a people of God when in fact there is wrongdoing in their midst, when people are not making offenses right in their midst. He prayed that, God, would you work in this place and cause it to be a place that is holy, whose people is holy. There was a man in the battle of Jericho named Achan who subverted God's people. He went in and they, as those walls came down and they entered into Jericho, he found a Babylonish garment. He saw some silver, some wealth. He knew that he was not to have, but he took it. And as a result, the presence of God, the power of God, left God's people and as they went to Ai, they had no power to be able to go in and take what God had sent them to do. Because one man in the camp subverted the power of God. He pretended to be something that he was not. He pretended to be righteous and right with God as they went to Ai, and he was not. And lives were ended because of it. Lives came, came to an end. We as a, a church house have to understand 1 Corinthians three sixteen that know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And God tells us, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy which temple ye are. He's not talking about a place. He's not talking about a building with walls. He's talking about a people whose temple ye are. And if you, divide, if you defile the temple, if you defile this place, I will destroy that temple. I will destroy that church. The church of God, the house of God, is to be a house of prayer, of, of saints that, whose hearts are right before the Lord. And this prayer is made by Solomon that our hearts would be genuine and real before the Lord. The second prayer that he makes here is the prayer of the sinning son. Verse number 24 it says, If thy people Israel be put to the worse before the enemy because they have sinned against thee. He says, If they go into battle and the battle goes worse, it goes bad because they have sinned against thee, much like in the battle of Ai. If it goes to the worse. God, if, if, if there begins to come consequences upon your people because they're sinning, he continues this theme in verse number 26. He talks about if the heavens be shut off, if there is no rain, because they have sinned against thee. If Israel doesn't have any rain, Lord, because they have sinned against thee, because these consequences have come upon them, notice verse number 28, he says, if there be a dearth in the land, a famine, if there be a pestilence, if there be blasting or mildew, locusts or caterpillars, if their enemies besiege them in the cities of their land, whatsoever sore, whatsoever sickness there be. Verse number 36, he says, If they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not, and thou will be angry with them. God hates sin. He hates my sin. He hates your sin. And he brings consequences upon his people, his sons and daughters, his children. He brings consequences. Because the Lord says, who I love, I chasten. He disciplines those who wander from his way. And the Bible says here that there's there's not a man who does not sin. You see, do we believe that the circumstances, the consequence-like circumstances that are in our life, that perhaps some of those are there because we have sin in our life? That perhaps some of the sickness that we're facing today is because of sin in our lives. That perhaps we, with some of the uh, uh, world catastrophes and, and, and the confusion that is going on in our days because of some sin that is in our lives. We're quick to point out to others and the sin in their life, but what about the sin in our lives? What about the sin that is in the house of God? Are we quick to look inward and to recognize that perhaps these circumstances in our life are as a, as a result of me? Is a result of how I have been living. You see, when there is consequences in our life, we have to have an understanding that there needs to be confession in our life. And this is what he begins to pray in his prayer here then, continuing in verse number 24, he says, if thy people Israel be put to the worst before the enemy because they have sinned against thee, and it says, and then they shall return and confess thy name and prayer and make supplication before thee in this house. He says in the latter part of verse number 29, then everyone shall know his own sore and his own grief and they shall spread forth their hands in this house, hands of prayer. Verse number 37, the last part, it says that if they are saying, we have sinned, we have done amiss and have dealt wickedly, if they return to thee with their heart and with all their soul, whose heart thou knowest, for only thou knowest the hearts of the children of men. See, when we see there are difficult circumstances, difficult consequences that are in our life. It ought to bring about confession. God, search my heart. God, show me what part have I had in these consequences that I'm facing in my life, because that's the only way that cleansing can come, that healing can come, that forgiveness can come. In verse number 25, he continues his prayer with, Then hear thou from heaven. When people recognize the consequences as a result of their sin, and because of their sin they make confession to you, then hear thou from the heavens, and forgive the sin of thy people Israel, and bring them again unto the land which thou gavest to them and to their fathers. You know, I don't know if Solomon under, fully understood that there would be people that would pray these kinds of prayers in a distant land. I don't know if he realized that there would be a young man who would grow up in Babylon, who had been sent there because of his sin and the sins of his nation. And that there would be a man who made a, great, made a great importance in his life that he would pray towards the temple. He would pray towards God's house because he knew of this prayer and he knew the truth of the word of God that if my people will lift up my name towards this house and in this house, I will heal, I will hear from heaven and I will heal them. I will heal their land. I will bring them back from their captivity. And we know the story of Daniel that as he was there in Babylon, this was a man that everybody knew he prayed. That he had a private life of prayer, no doubt, but he also had a public, outward, visible prayer life that people knew about. And the princes there, they hated him. They hated this righteous man that brought conviction to their soul. And they said, how can we trip this man up? And they could find no offense in him. No area that they could cause him to fall and stumble except for the truth that he lived by towards his God. They knew this was a man that prayed. And so what we'll do is we'll have King Darius pass a law that if any man prays to anyone, any God, except for King Darius, he must be put to death. And so they enacted that law. And what did Daniel do? Isolate himself, shut out the world, become an inward Christian, believer of God, no doubt, He did not. He went back to his house. He went back into that place of prayer. He opened those windows and he looked towards those glorious truths that he knew were in the land of Israel where God's city was, where God's temple was, where God's house was, and he knew the promise that if he would look toward that house, he would look toward that place of worship, he knew that there was a God that could heal his life and heal his his land and his people and that could bring God's people back to the land if he would but have faith to confess his sins and the sins of his nation and cry out to God who could heal them. And he was not ashamed to publicly pray to his God, the prayer of the sinning saint. Welsh Revival that we uh, sometimes hear about started with a prayer meeting. A group of people who got together and prayed on a Monday night, and they were asked by their pastor that night that they would come and stay for just a few minutes afterwards to hear some words from a man. And that meeting, it concluded and there were 17 men that stayed behind and heard the words of this man that challenged them with four things. That you must put off all unconfessed sin. Secondly, that you you must put away any doubtful habits. Thirdly, that you must promptly obey the Holy Spirit of God. And fourthly, you must publicly profess Christ. And those 17 men made a commitment to those four statements that were made to them. And as a result, of a prayer meeting of 17 dedicated men to deal with sin in their lives and to publicly announce the name of Jesus Christ, 150,000 souls are known to have been saved. Christians turned to the Lord. And great revival, the Welsh revival of 1904 broke out because some people were willing to deal with some sin in their lives between one another and towards God. And revival broke out. They were unashamed to make it a matter of public prayer. Number three, we see that there was also the prayer of the seeking stranger. A seeking stranger. In verse number 32, it says that, Moreover, concerning the stranger, which is not of thy people Israel. This man who hears of a God in Israel that can heal, not just physical hurt, he can heal spiritual hurt and brokenness. And he says that this stranger, which is not of the people of Israel, but is come from a far country, for thy great name's sake, and thy mighty hand, and thy stretched out arm, if they come and pray in this house. O God, then hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, that all people of the earth may know thy name, and fear thee, as doth thy people Israel, and may know that this house which I have built is called by thy name." The Church house, the Prayer House is not just a prayer house for god 's people. God wants it to be a people for it to be a place that is a prayer place for all nations, for all people to be able to come and pray to a God that can heal their physical hurts, their physical brokenness, the sickness, the plagues that are in our lives. He can heal all of that. He can change our consequences. He can change our circumstances. He wants it to be a place where people look to and they see that there's a God that's doing something there in the lives of those people. And if you're here today and you're someone who is a stranger to this place, this whole thing of uh, of preaching the word of God and of praying and calling out to God and seeking help from God who lives in heaven and seeking to uh, know him more, this is a place for you. This is a place for you to be able to come and to pray to a God who can forgive your sins, who has washed them all away by the blood of Jesus Christ who died and rose again who has the power to give you life that's life abundant here on earth and a life that's so much greater that's yet to come, that this church, this place is a place for you to pray and for you to come and find healing in your life that so many have found here today as well. Fourthly, and lastly, there's the prayer of the submitting soldier. There's prayers of those subverting sinners that Solomon desired would be made there in the temple, in the house of prayer, the prayer house. There was those who uh, were, were sinning against the Lord, a sinning son that he desired that would be made towards the Lord when they saw their consequences were because of their sin. And there were prayers of strangers that were seeking after the Lord, but the last prayer that I see that he made here was a prayer of a soldier that was submitting to his Lord. It says in verse number 34, if thy people go out to war against their enemies by the way that thou shalt send them, And they pray unto thee toward the city which thou hast chosen and the house which I have built for thy name. O God, then hear thou from the heavens their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. We as a people should never dare do the work of God without praying for God to do the work. Because he says that this warfare that they're warring in, they go out to war against their enemies by the way that thou shalt send them. That the, the warfare that they were to do as God's people was not their own warfare. It was not their own battle. It was God's battle that God's people were involved in. And that they would recognize that this battle is too great for us to do. This battle, there there is too many lies, there's too much deception for us to possibly fight against it all. There's too much in the hearts of men that is wicked and prideful and arrogant against God for us to be able to change. God, you've got to get in this. God, you've got to help us do the work. You've got to help us be in this battle for truth that you have commissioned for us to go. And And the way that God sends his church today is the way of the cross. It's the way of Jesus Christ. But how dare we go in that way of the cross, and how dare we share the gospel, and how dare we take a stand for the truth of the word of God if we have not prayed, and if we have not prayed much? God has got to do the work in our hearts through prayer before we can go out and be involved in the work of God. But we've got to pray, and we've got to spend time in prayer. But you know the funny thing about prayer is that there is no time in prayer. There is no time in prayer. You know, one of the first times I was ever challenged to pray for an hour was on a teen retreat in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin. And they challenged us as teens to uh, uh, pray for an hour, and they gave us a list of, of different things that we could pray for. Uh, praying for our family, our nation, praying for our church, and spending so much time to pray for these things. I remember going out of that house in the middle of nowhere in the the wilderness of Wisconsin and I found a rock there in a grassy field and I sat there for an hour for the first time in my life and I prayed for an hour over these several different things of my family, of my church, of my nation of confessing sin. Folks, it was the longest hour of my life Who can pray for an hour? Who can spend that kind of time speaking to God? I thought to myself, I don't think I can make this a habit of my life. Who can pray for an hour? It's something God has taught me and shown me as I've continued to strive to serve Him and be involved in His work, is that when you really get a clear picture of who God is and what He can do, and you get a clear view of yourself, and who you are, and your inadequateness, your inability to be able to do his work, suddenly you can't pray enough. And suddenly an hour just isn't enough anymore. And suddenly there's just not enough time to pray, because we ought to fill our time complete with prayer. And suddenly these hours of prayer become something that is sweet and precious. How guilty are we singing songs like, Sweet Hour of Prayer, and yet many of us have never prayed for an hour? We never labored in in prayer for the work of God that He sent us out to do. God desires that we would be a people of prayer. Leonard Ravenhill described that the Cinderella of the church is the prayer meeting. That the thing that is unwooed and unloved and uncared for in the church is the prayer meeting. That the thing that people will avoid like the plague is the prayer meeting. That, 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 Pastor, the one thing you can count on me being in is Sunday morning church, but don't count me in for the prayer meeting through the week. Don't count me in for the times of prayer that are set aside for God's work, for God's people, in God's house. Don't consider me to be a part of the prayer house. I'll be there to praise God. I'll be there to worship Him. But don't expect me to get down on my knees. So the Cinderella of the church house is the prayer meeting. And that the Cinderella of the church house wears homespun clothes. And so she's not afraid to get down on her knees and pray. Where are we in the prayer meeting time? Where are we with the people who labor in prayer? Where are we with a people that are going to accomplish anything for God if we are not praying and laboring in prayer, that God would help us. Solomon closes this prayer, verse number 40. He says, Now my God, let I beseech thee, O God, please I beg of thee, let thine eyes be open and let thine ears be attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. God look upon this place. It's your house. It's the prayer house. We're calling to you God. Do something in this place that we cannot do. Do your work that you've called us to do that we cannot do on our own. God be looking upon this place. Hear the prayers of this place. Are there any of these prayers happening in this place today? Are there any subverting sinners any subverting saints that are at odds with one another, that aren't dealing with sin, that aren't confessing their sins one to another and seeking to make things right in the church house? Are there any that are praying and confessing sin? I don't think there's anyone, according to the word of God, that does not sin. That means there ought to be times of confession in our church. There ought to be times of confession in our lives. Are there any praying here today that, God, would you save a sinner like me? Be merciful unto me, God, a sinner. Are there any strangers that are seeking after God in this place? Are there any that are laboring in warfare, that are soldiers of Jesus Christ, that are submitted to him and seeking God's power for the work that he has called for them to do? And Solomon says, God, please look upon this place and hear those prayers. See our circumstances and answer those prayers, O oh God. And God gave this answer in verse number 15 of chapter 7. He says, Now, as he appeared to Solomon in the night, he says, Now mine eyes shall be open.'" Mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. Solomon, I will answer those prayers. I will show up in that house that prays. I will be in the church that prays. Because the praying church is the powerhouse of God. The prayer house is to be the powerhouse of God. That is where God shows up and does things that we cannot. What needs to burden our hearts today? as church members what ought to burden our hearts as preachers today is that we be a people of prayer you know every major decision i have ever made in my life that has brought me to this point where i stand before you today and open the word of god with all my excuses of why i can't do this every great decision that has led to this moment of me being right here has been a decision of prayer a decision that was made At an altar, to confess my sin to God and say, God, you can't use me. I'm not worthy. I don't have the ability, the talent that you need to be in this pulpit. God, you can't use me. But I simply yield to God and gave my life to Him. A teenager submitting my life to Him happened at a time when we were challenged to pray, and I got down and I submitted to God. My decision to be a preacher of the gospel happened when God was working in my life through the preaching of God's word, and I got down at an invitation, and I prayed and asked God, would you help me do that? I'm not worthy, God, to do that for you, but God, if you want to use me, I surrender my life to you, and you can. You know, everything that we do in the church before we come to worship I believe that those kinds of decisions that I have made in my life was because there was a mom and dad that was praying for me while their son was off in Bible college. And there was a pastor back in Wingham, Ontario that was praying for Jason Borman. And there were preachers who, before they got in the pulpit, were praying and asking and begging God, would you do something great through this message? Would you call young men that would go and preach? Would you call some families that would be steadfast, unmovable, abounding in the church work, abounding in prayer, laboring with their pastor, laboring in their community to see souls saved, would there be somebody that would answer that call and get down on their knees and pray? And it's happened not just in the church house, it's happened in my life personally. That every great decision that has led me to this moment right here before you today was a matter of a decision in the moment of prayer, laboring in prayer. God, here's my excuses why, but I give them to you and just give my life to you. Are there some people at Bible Baptist Church, and I'm so grateful for your testimony and for all that you're known for. You encourage my heart. Your preachers encourage my life. Many of you have encouraged me as I've gotten to know many of you. I believe God's doing something great in here, but it won't continue if we don't labor in prayer and know that God can heal our land. He can heal us from the sickness. Oh, the prayer house needs to be open. Prayers need to be offered to him. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that your word would minister and work in our hearts. Help us, God, not to give in to our doubts and fears of what we are. Help us to only believe in what you can do, and to only be an empty vessel that can be filled with you for your glory. In Jesus' name.